The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Larry Wingett, uh, who's written several books. Uh, one of his latest ones is called Your Kids Are Your Own Fault. He's also written one called You're Broke Because You Want to Be. Welcome to the show, Larry. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. A lot of people have probably seen you on TV and uh, seen your books, but uh, just for people who have not had background on you, why don't you just tell, give people a little bit of background on uh, how you got to where you are today. <laughs> I got to where I am today through good old-fashioned hard work, which is some message everybody needs to be reminded of. I am a, um, a guy who appears on uh, many, many television shows as a, a personal development, personal finance, parenting, business uh, advisor to a lot of uh, different news channels and so forth. I've also written five New York Times, Wall Street Journal's bestseller, Shut Up, Stop Whining, and Get a Life was the first one. Then um, People Are Idiots and I Can Prove It. It's called Work for a Reason. You're broke because you want to be, and now your kids are your own fault. So uh, what is the big problem you see with Americans uh, these days and, and why you have this kind of uh, blunt confrontational style? Why do Americans need that? I think they need it because uh, there's a sense of entitlement that just is uh, overwhelming in our society. No one wants to accept responsibility for their lives, and they also believe that someone's going to come to the rescue or that someone should come to the rescue. So I'm pretty much a one-trick pony. I have a central theme to everything that I do, and that's take responsibility. You're the one that created your life. And even if something horrible happened to you, you're still the one that's responsible for dealing with it. So I deal with that one central theme, personal responsibility, and I drive it through business and personal finance, your life, and through the way you parent your kids. I'd be interested in your take on the new health care bill. And is that going to make people feel more or less responsible and entitled? Less responsible. Uh, same way with the new uh, home mortgage bailout or the old one that we're redoing again one more time. Anytime that we rely on someone else, whether it be the government or our employer or whatever, to take care of us in any way, we chip away at the whole idea that we are accountable and we are responsible. Isn't this kind of going against the grain of the whole world, which seems to be going more towards government intervention, uh, the nanny state, uh, socialism, and so on. If you look most places in the world, that's the direction things seem to be going. Yeah, I just don't happen to approve. I do think that my message is contrary to what uh, the direction of the country and the rest of the world is headed. But I seem to be very popular right now with my style and with my message that people really want at their basic root to go back to the, the whole idea of a personal accountability society where we create the mess and we create the success that we get to enjoy or that punishes us in some way. So when people mess up, um, and, and don't want to take responsibility, what usually happens? Is people come to the rescue and save them, or what is normally happening in that well, kind of circumstance? Well, that's typically what happens, and um, 
we do like to have people come to our rescue rather than going to the only place I think you get to lay blame, and that's to the mirror. You have to look yourself in the eye and say, look, I did this. It was my thoughts, my words, my actions, my lack of action that created the mess that I'm experiencing. And that pretty much applies to everything, whether it be uh, uh, your financial situation or whether it be your work situation or how your kids turn out or any other area of your life, your health or whatever. You have to realize it was what you did that created the results you're experiencing. And I contend that everybody likes their life exactly the way it is. Otherwise, it would be different. So I think if you condone it, if you're willing to live with it, you must enjoy it. At least you're not willing to do anything about it otherwise. What kind of results have you had from people who've taken your seminars and read your books uh, about changing their lives? Well, I get a lot of feedback. I get uh, hundreds of emails every single week from people who write me and say, Look, Larry, because of you, I... Uh, I decided to start paying off my bills and get my life together financially or because of your books. Uh, I'm getting a lot of feedback, especially on the new one these days, about parenting where they stepped in and took control of their family again and started communicating better and laid down some disciplines. And and so the the feedback I get is very positive. There are some people who don't like it. There are some people who just think that I'm a, a bad guy who likes to rant and rave. That really doesn't bother me. I figure you can't have a, a fan base unless you're willing to have some critics as well, so that's okay with me. For the most part, uh, the response that I get is very, very positive from people who uh, go back to that root thing, that one thing I said I was a one-trick pony about, and they take responsibility for their situation. Your life never gets better until you, you realize that you are the cause of it. Let's take some specific areas and see how this would apply. Uh, the housing and real estate market. Now, people got way in over their heads, took on more debt, more house than they could afford, and now they want to be bailed out. So what would be a better way to handle that situation? Well, first of all, they created that mess, and that's what really bothers me most about this is that we're expecting someone else to step in and fix the situation. The way we should have done this originally is have tougher, more stringent uh, lending rules so you wouldn't be able to just go in and state your income and say you made this much money without having to prove it. And you wouldn't have been able to borrow up to 120% of your equity. And the ability to get a second mortgage to go out and pay off your credit cards, which is what most people did, and then they didn't cancel their credit cards. They just charged them up again, maxed them out again, or they bought a boat, or they bought a motorcycle, or they bought a car, or they did all these extra things, big screen TVs and so forth. We got ourselves in, in the problem that we're in through a lack of responsibility there are a lack of fiscal responsibility. When you realize that half the country was spending more money than they made, and it's still almost that bad, and that the average household has $10,000 in credit card debt, that is a problem. But see, people don't want to take responsibility for that problem. When they write bad checks and then want to blame the bank for the fact that they wrote a bad check, come on, you can't add and subtract and know when you're out of money. When you're out of money, quit writing checks. And then they're mad because the banking system wants to charge $35 a check. It's a whole uh, mindset right now in society that none of this can be our fault. We have to have a place to lay blame. Right, so say somebody takes your advice. They did all the wrong things before. They bought too much house, took on too big of a mortgage. Their income didn't. They're heading towards foreclosure. And they want to become a Larry Winget person who's going to take responsibility what do they do? Just get foreclosed upon and live in a trailer? Or, I mean, what, what are they supposed to do if, in, in that situation to take responsibility? Well, the first thing they do is, is 
they sit down and figure out exactly where they are. And, and believe it or not, that's something most people have still not done. In fact, out of all the emails I get and all the people I've worked together with on a personal level, I've yet to deal with one person who absolutely knew for sure where they stood financially. So figure out where you are. Know what you've got to work with. Know how bad it really is. Uh, know how, who you owe and how much you owe and when it's due. And once you've done that, you sit down and take a realistic look at where you are, and then you start communicating with the people you owe money to. You don't hide from them. You don't just dodge your bills. You don't just say, hey, I tell you what, there's a new mortgage plan out there that if I get 90 days behind, someone will come to the rescue and then stop making your payments, which is a whole concept right now that people think is okay. Strategic defaults, come on, it's immoral, it's irresponsible. You don't quit making your payments when you can afford to make your payments. Uh, it's, it's a bad concept that penalizes the people who are doing the right thing. Eighty-six percent of the people pay their mortgages on time. But this is the so-called moral hazard that people are talking about, right, is that the people who are doing the right thing feel like dumb <laughs> if they're not getting all the bailouts that the people who did things wrong are, are getting. Exactly, and what a slap in the face. I was just on the news this week talking about this. What a slap in the face to the 86% of the people out there who are also, many of them, upside down in their mortgages. Their, their real estate isn't worth what they owe on it. And yet, they have a sense of commitment to their commitments. They understand the basic concept of a deal is a deal. They know that they gave their word and they'll do everything in their power to make sure they keep making their payments. They'll do without, they'll save, they'll take extra jobs. They'll do what it takes, and yet they watch their neighbor who goes, my loan is higher than the value of my house. I'm going to just quit making payments. Or walking. People are doing that these days, right? Absolutely. That's what they, they gave it a, a, a fancy word, strategic default. Yes, And, uh, you know, I got an argument recently on uh, one of the news channels about this where I said it was immoral. And they said, Larry, it may be immoral, but... And I go, whoa, 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 whoa. There is no but after it may be immoral. If it's immoral, if it's wrong, you don't get an exception. You just don't do it. And yet we've told people it's okay to do that. There's a whole argument out there. That, that money is nothing but numbers. Money is more than just numbers. It does have ethics involved. It does have a sense of morality and integrity and responsibility that's involved. So, so let's go back to my question. Somebody's in that circumstance. They're taking responsibility. They want to do the right thing. They're way upside down in their house. Uh, they can't make their mortgage payments. Their foreclosure's coming. What should they do? Well, first of all, I'd say, can they make their, their mortgage payments, or, or is it just not convenient to anymore? What the, most of the studies are telling us is that the people could, but they'd have to cut back on areas of their lifestyle. So look at your lifestyle. Mortgage should be your priority. The fact that you have shelter, that should be your priority. And uh, yet people think that uh, eating out is a priority. You know, when the average household right now, on a per-person basis, spends $2,500 a year eating out, family four, you could cut back ten grand right there, that'd go a long ways against your mortgage payment. So first of all, before you decide you can't afford to live there anymore or that you did buy too much or that you're upside down or whatever, stop and look at your lifestyle. Is there something you could do to make this thing work before you just throw it in, throw in the towel and give up? Are there things in your house that you could sell See, I think we've told people way too long that it comes down to needs and wants. No, I, don't, I think it's more than that. 
Uh, it's way past needs and wants. It goes to needs, wants, and then can't live without. Look at your life and say, what is it I cannot live without? In my opinion, what you can't live without is shelter. So the first thing on your list that you ought to be taking care of is your mortgage payment or your rent. So no one has to come to the rescue. Here's the problem. When people allow someone else to come to the rescue, they don't feel bad enough about it. I want major remorse. I want people to go, man, this was wrong of me. I ought to feel bad. But instead, right now, bankruptcies are on the rise, uh, foreclosures, uh, short sales, uh, people walking away in strategic defaults. And there was a time in our society when that was a shameful thing. Now people don't feel the shame involved in any of that, and so they're, they just have this attitude that, hey, if they can do it, it must be okay for me to do it. And we're forgiving people and writing it off as, oh, well, that's just what's happening right now in 2009 and 2010. Can't be all that bad. Look at all the people who are doing it. A guy said to me the other day on a news show again, he said, Larry, people who walk away from their mortgages, people who make the decision that they don't have to make their payments, at least at this point, at this time in our country, they would be in good company. And I said, what a sad realization about our country right now, that we would say someone doing that would be in good company. So there the was a time that, that would be bad company. When people are making that moral judgment, what is the implication for the economy You know, when people are giving up and not paying their debts and walking away, as opposed to the old days where people held by their commitments? Well, I think the implications are that, first of all, look at the lesson you're teaching your kids, that you don't have to clean up your own mess. You wouldn't let your kid get by with it. Sadly, some people would. But you wouldn't let your kid get by with creating a huge mess and then letting them walk away and say, hey, Mom, you clean it up. You wouldn't think of allowing that to happen. But in essence, really, that's the lesson that you're teaching, is that you don't have to be responsible for the mistakes that you've made. See, one of the big things that I teach uh, when it comes to finances is I do like that sense of remorse. I really want people to have that Jimmy Swaggart moment in their lives where they look to the heavens and say, oh, God, I was stupid. Please forgive me. Because when you tie some emotion to your stupidity, when you feel bad about your mistakes, you're much more likely to correct your mistake. And until we force people to feel the pain of their mistakes, they're very likely to repeat them. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Larry Wingett, who's done several books on personal responsibility. Very hard-hitting and blunt, but that's helpful to a lot of people. We'll be back after this. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to go green? You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. 
Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying, and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa, where America learns to invest best from the boardroom to you voice america business network you've been listening to the money answer show with jordan goodman if you have a question for jordan or his guest please call us now at 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 now back to jordan welcome back to the money answer show this is jordan goodman your host my guest this hour is larry wingett uh, who's written several books on personal responsibility and improving your personal finances. Uh, welcome back to the show, Larry. Thank you. At the beginning of your book, You're Broke Because You Want to Be, you talk about the difference between poor and broke. What, what is the difference between those two? Well, first of all, I, I really think that, that broke is a situation you find yourself in. Poor is a condition. Um, but broke is a situation you find yourself in, usually based on irresponsible behavior. Uh, you're, and it can be a temporary situation. You don't have to stay broke. You don't have to stay poor, but the likelihood of staying poor is much higher than the likelihood of staying broke. And so uh, what is the attitude adjustment uh, that people need to make so that they're not broke anymore? Well, I think it takes um, sort of an epiphany in your life that that it's not so important that you figure out how you're going to change your life, but why you want to change your life. When I was 13 years old, I walked into my eighth-grade civics class, and a kid looked up at me and said, Wingo, are you so poor you only have one pair of jeans? And it was the truth. I had one pair of blue jeans, and they had a tear on the pocket, and it was obvious that I only had one pair of jeans every day, and that's what I had to wear. And it was so humiliating to me. Been in the eighth grade, I got embarrassed in front of a bunch of little girls, which is a tough thing that I, in my mind, something snapped, and I said, I'll never go through this again. I'm going to figure out whatever it takes. I am not going to be poor. I am not going to be broke. I'm going to figure out what it takes to get rich, no matter what it takes, because I was unwilling to feel that, that humiliation. I had a strong why. I didn't know how I was going to get rich, and I don't think it matters how. There's as many ways to get rich as there are rich people. What matters is that you have a strong why that sticks with you all the time, that motivates you, that keeps you going when it gets tough, and it will get tough. Uh, there's no easy way to get rich. It's hard to get rich. And uh, so you have to have a strong motivator, a reason, a why that can keep you going. You talk about needing to become uncomfortable before you can become comfortable. Why is that necessary? Why can't you just stay comfortable and be successful? Uh, that's not how it works. I don't know anybody that got to any place in their life, whether it be a uh, 
uh, more healthy or or more financially secure or reached any level of competence in their in their work life that got there in a comfortable way. You have to become uncomfortable. My whole goal, I trademark the fact not only that I'm the pit bull of personal development, that I, but I am the world's only irritational speaker, not motivational. <laughs> My goal is to irritate people enough with where they are that they become comfort, uncomfortable and are willing to do what it takes in order to change. Because it's when we become uncomfortable that we become willing. It's that willingness that makes the difference. But you're not willing to make much of a change in your life if you're comfortable. So you have to become uncomfortable with where you are. So in your current circumstance now that you've been successful, are you comfortable or uncomfortable? I keep myself uncomfortable. I do my best to make sure I don't get too comfortable ever in any area of my life. So I do whatever I can to find some discomfort to keep me motivated and to keep me working every single day. So what would be some examples of ways you find discomfort? Uh, I challenge myself with uh, setting goals, what would might to most people uh, be unrealistic, but uh, I set very high goals for myself, very high expectations, and I work to achieve them. And, and knowing that I've set a goal and that it matters to me and that I've made a commitment to myself, uh, that makes me uncomfortable if I don't achieve it because I've set such high expectations. One of the problems I see right now is that we don't expect much from anybody. From an employment standpoint, we don't expect much from our employees, so they don't give us too much. And employees don't make, expect too much from their employers, so they don't give very much. When we walk into a restaurant, we don't expect good service, and guess what? We don't get it. And we, the same way works in your family. When you have very low expectations, uh, chances are that's what you're going to receive. I set high expectations for everyone in my life, especially myself, and the people I do business with, and I communicate what my expectations are. And then I manage toward those expectations. So I keep myself uncomfortable by setting very high standards and goals and expectations for myself. Is it just easier for people to be low expectations and complacent? It's just too challenging for people to have high expectations and uh, you know, be disappointed all the time? Uh, you know, they ought to be disappointed. You know, I, I get so sick of these people talking about all this positive attitude crap, and I think that's what it is. You... Most people just spend their lives trying to stay happy and trying to stay positive and, and see the bright side on everything, and every cloud has a silver lining. What a stupid thing. Uh, and there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Sometimes the light at the end of the tunnel is a train. Come on. You need to make sure that you are uncomfortable. See, people act better out of fear than they do out of comfort. That's why I say right now in the economy, you need to stay afraid a little bit. When you start becoming too comfortable with the fact that you're uncomfortable, then you get lazy again. When people are afraid, they spend less than they make, they start saving monies, and they start paying down their debt. The minute they start becoming comfortable and say the recession is over, they start getting sloppy again. How is it we have more people out of work than ever? We have people being foreclosed on, people wanting health care, people wanting a bailout on their mortgages, and yet consumer spending is up. Yeah, people feeling things are getting better and they're going, or the same thing happened with cars. When gas prices went up, they started conserving, and then when gas prices went down, they started driving again, right? Exactly. So I'm saying people ought to be a little afraid. They ought to have that sort of motivation that says, man, I'm not sure what's going to happen, so I'm going to do the right thing. People always act more responsibly when they're just a little bit afraid. The baby boomers in general since they've been born, have had pretty good times and affluence and not too much to worry about uh, since the 50s, you know, on to now their retirement years. So 
And then we pass that on to our kids, and we have a generation of baby boomers kids out there that are between the ages of 25 and 35 who are the biggest disasters on our planet in terms of taking responsibility and feel no sense of responsibility and think that really everything is owed to them. Recently, I had uh, someone steal my name on the Internet, and they became Larry Wink on the Internet. <laughs> and, uh, and it was just amazing that it could happen to me. And I, when I finally got in touch with the guy and contacted him, he said that what he was really trying to do was get my attention so he could spend some time with me. And I went, really, what an odd way to go about it. And when I did the, and the New York Times did an interview with me about it, and I put it out to 100,000 people on my blogs and through my email list and so forth and mention it. And what was amazing was that 25% of the people who responded were on his side, thinking it was perfectly fine that this guy could go in and take my name and squat on it and then negotiate the fact that I would have to buy it from him or trade something of value for it. They thought it was okay, and I thought, what a sad commentary on our society, that people actually at this point think it's okay to take something that doesn't belong to you. But that's kind of what the baby boomers' kids' generations, that's how they feel. Is this what you talk about in your kids are your own fault? Yeah, I do mention it in that book, yeah. So basically you're saying that because the baby boomers had affluence and had it pretty easy, uh, the same kind of attitude is passed on to their kids and it goes, which is the opposite. I mean, their parents, who might have gone through the Depression, did not have it easy, right? So. Yeah, which is kind of amazing. They had a tough bunch of parents out there. Your parents were probably tough. My parents were tough. Right. They set high expectations for me. They, they created in me this work ethic. And, you know, then we did it, and we got soft, and then we passed that softness on to our kids. Uh, but we forget somehow that the reason we had it so good is because our parents worked so hard. So you're saying that that kind of motivation is lost. Now, do you think with the economy being down and people getting foreclosed upon and losing jobs and all the traumatic things that are going on there, that was going to reinvigorate the sense of, of fear and hard work and so on that we had in the Depression? You know, I, I think that there's a possibility that could happen. I'm afraid, though, that if, if our expectation is that someone's always going to bail us out, then I think we, we really risk losing that lesson, which would be a shame. There's a lot of good that could come out of a recession. There's a lot of good that can come out of, of all the rampant unemployment. See, one of the things that really is a good thing is that when people are afraid, they really will pay down their bills. They really will start to save. They really will make sure that they've got a cushion in case things get worse. They'll start spending less than they earn. That's a good thing. Also, when they, there are a lot of people unemployed, when you go to work, you work. When things are really good, it didn't matter. You could go to work and slough off, and if you got fired, oh, no big deal. Your employer can't say anything about why they fired you anyway. And there are a lot of jobs. You can walk right next door and probably get a job, and it won't be a problem. When things are bad like they are right now, and unemployment is at an all-time high for many, many years, you've got to go to work and work, because if you lose your job, you may not have another job for a year. Kind of reminds me of what Obama's been saying, is they, we don't want to let a good crisis go to waste. Well, and that's true. I don't think we should let a good crisis go to waste. And uh, I, I might approach it differently, but I would say that there is a lesson in here that people need to learn. And if we don't learn the lesson, we're going to be doomed to repeat it. And a lot of the lessons that could come out of this thing, I'm afraid we're letting slip through our fingers. How do we compare with other countries around the world? Uh, do they tend to have more of a sense of responsibility and they haven't had it as easy? 
you know, in uh, China and Korea and Germany and other places? Is, it, is this pretty much an American disease? No, there are, uh, there are other countries with the disease. Not, not very many Asian countries, though. They do have a higher sense of responsibility and certainly a better work ethic than I think we do. And consequently, they're kicking our butt in lots of areas. Uh, look at the way the United States compares in education, though, to the other countries. I mean, we rank 27 out of 29 in almost all areas. Uh, we rank so poorly in the areas of math and and uh, in the areas of communication skills and so forth, that that we have just become sloppy and lazy and undereducated and uh, under-motivated and over-medicated to the point that uh, we're not achieving all the great things that we have the capability of achieving. I mean, this is not what people are saying. Parents say they want a rigorous education for their kids. Politicians are saying they want higher standards. You know, this is going against what people say. You're just saying it's not what people are doing. Well, that's the basis of my book, People Are Idiots and I Can Prove It, that one sentence you just said, that there is a huge contradiction between what we say we want and what we actually do. And that's why I wrote a book called People Are Idiots. Uh, the way you prove it is that there is a contradiction. People say they love their kids. You know, I ask them in every big seminar I do, how many of you love your kids? Everybody raises their hand. You want great kids. And then I say, you know, I have to say that's a load of crap because according to the American Parenting Association, the average parent spends three and a half minutes per week in meaningful conversation with their children. <laughs> We're going to take a break. Very good. Uh, my guest this hour is, is Larry Wingett, uh, whose book is called You're Broke Because You Want to Be, and his new book is called Your Kids Are Your Own Fault. We'll be back after this. markets up or down or if you're looking to improve your portfolio our experts are ready to talk to you call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network to grow your business listen for the independent business owners show with your coach rick carrado this entertaining talk radio program will bring you the tools to help increase your business you'll learn sales success time management lead generation business development life balance and much more rick carrado is here to help you take your business to the next level listen for the independent business owners show heard live every monday morning at 11 a.m eastern time 8 a.m pacific on the voice america business network Join Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday at 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific Time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in 
both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman. My guest this hour is Larry Wingett, who's written several books about uh, personal responsibility. Before we get back into it, Larry, just tell people about your website and blogs and various ways they can uh, find out more about what you do. The easiest way is just to go to LarryWingett.com. That's L-A-R-R-Y-W-I-N-G-E-T, LarryWingett.com. I do a, a weekly blog, and I have rants every day. You can also find me easily on Facebook. Uh, join my fan page there, and I do a daily rant there about all the things kind of in the world and life that tick me off and give my opinion about it. So, And then the, all my books are available in any uh, of the bookstores. You can also go to YouTube and see all my video clips from my news appearances and so forth. And do you answer people's uh, emails and, and blog questions and so on? Everybody does get a personal response. I don't answer personally every single one of them because, believe me, we get thousands a month. Uh, but everybody does get a personal response. Some of them are, are priceless, and I do take the time to personally get involved. I always respond on Facebook, and I'm very active on the threads that I post there. And I usually respond on the blog as well. And what's the theme of what you're hearing from people these days? Uh, people actually find my message pretty refreshing. They are ready for somebody to step in, step in and just say, let's cut the BS, let's get to the heart of the matter. We have a crisis on our hands in a lot of different areas, and what are we going to do about it? And most of them would agree with my philosophy is we have to take responsibility for our situation, stop counting on someone else to come to the rescue, and start making sure that we take care of ourselves physically, emotionally, uh, and, and from a financial standpoint, certainly, as well as with a stronger work ethic. What are the uh, political implications of what you're talking about? I mean, the whole Tea Party movement seems to be coming out of the sense of personal responsibility. We shouldn't be borrowing against our grandchildren's future to finance things now, and uh, both parties are basically evil. And what, what are the political implications of what you're saying? <laughs> I think you're going to see a lot of people who are maybe like me, who's in the past I was like a Reagan Democrat and sort of a middle-of-the-road kind of guy, and I sort of looked at things and said, what makes sense right now, and voted accordingly. And, and recently I said, I, I just can't go with either extreme right now. So I think you're going to see more people do what I've done and register as independents. And you're going to make both sides work for your vote. Both sides have to make sense. And then you're going to pick according to, to what makes sense. Sadly, right now, I think we've become so hyper-partisan. And part of what we're seeing in the news media on both sides is this hyper-partisanship that's just based in meanness. Uh, so if one side says it, it can't be a good idea because the other side said it. And so we don't know how to talk to each other. We don't know how to meet in the middle. and We don't know how to just take action on legislation that makes, side, makes sense to both sides. We have to have the party line and toe the party line uh, because we're not willing to compromise and meet in the middle. Yeah. 
Okay, we were talking before about the kind of mixed messages that were, were people... Exactly. Oh, yeah, we were talking about the reason I wrote the book, People Are Idiots, is the fact that, you know, we say what we want, and then we do exactly the opposite. And the example I gave before we went to break was the fact that we say we want to have great kids, and yet statistically we spend three and a half minutes a week in meaningful conversation. We say we want to have healthy kids. You bet everybody wants their kids to be healthy, yet... Statistically, I mean, we're raising for the very first time in history a generation of kids who are not going to outlive their parents simply because of the, the obesity problem. We're killing our kids one French fry at a time uh, because we don't have the guts to say, no, no French fries, we're not going there, and you're going to learn to eat vegetables. We don't have the guts to do this, parents. Look at the way we run our finances. I don't know anybody who doesn't want to be rich. Ask anybody on the street, do you want to be rich? You bet I do. Really? Then why do you spend more money than you make? Really, that'd be the first thing you could do to start getting rich. Stop spending more money than you make. And so we talk a pretty good game. We're just not very good at delivering that game. Everybody wants to live a long time, yet a huge portion of our society still smokes cigarettes, and every cigarette you smoke kills you 13 minutes earlier. We have two-thirds of our society right now that's obese. We are doing dumb things to our bodies. We're doing dumb things with our kids. And we're ruining our jobs. You bet I want a promotion. I don't want to make, I don't want to get laid off. And yet you can't bother to get here on time. You call in sick to make sure you use up every one of your sick days. Your, your book, uh, it's called Work for a Reason, gets that kind of employee uh, responsibility and so on. What are some things that employees are not doing that they should be doing uh, that would make the workplace better? Uh, the same thing that everybody ought to be doing in life, which would be extra. You need to, right now, when times are hard, you need to be doing a little extra. You can't do the basic minimum. You know, that's why they make minimum wage. It's for minimum effort and minimum skill. And so if you want to make more money, you have to make yourself more valuable. You know, people who make $5 an hour make $5 an hour because they provide $5 worth of value, and it takes them a whole hour to do it. People who make $5,000 an hour provide $5,000 worth of value, and it takes them an hour to do it. The difference is not the hour. The difference is the amount of value you bring to that hour. So look at yourself at work and understand that job security is based on the fact that you bring more value to the job than you cost, and you have to make, bring more value to the job than your coworkers. That's job security. What should employers do to encourage their employees to provide that kind of value? You know, I think employers need to take a harder line. Uh, I really do. And I think it's sad that if I've got an employee that, I, that, I, that isn't doing the job, that I just can't walk in and say, listen, you're being an idiot. You don't bother showing up. You're not working. I'm going to fire you. Sadly, we, we've got to the point that, that uh, we're all so sue happy. That's hard to do these days. But I think that's a shame. I think what we need to remind employees is the fact that, I don't pay you to be happy at work. I don't pay you to do anything but do your job. Focus more on results. And the people that get the best results are the people who are fair the best in the business world. Life is about results. Business is certainly about results. I remind employees all the time that businesses exist for one reason and one reason only. It's not to make you happy. It's not to give you a great place to work. It's not to make sure that you've got health insurance. It's not to make sure of any of the things you think it's about. Businesses exist for one reason profits. And the more you can t that you contribute to that business's profits, the more valuable you are to that business. Help that business be profitable so they can stay in business and keep providing all those other things that you want. 
but don't forget that it's their profitability that allows them to provide those benefits for you. Help them be more profitable. But aren't companies today kind of being vilified for being profitable, I mean, particularly on Wall Street? Don't you uh, think that's a shame? And insurance companies have been vilified during the whole health care debate for earning profits. This is a horrible thing. Uh, we just took away the student loan business from banks because they were making profits at this. This was all considered horrible uh, things that people are being profitable. I know. And I, and I think that's a darn shame that we've made it wrong to be profitable. Somebody wrote me on my Facebook this week, around my wall, said, Larry, that whole capital thing has, capitalism thing hasn't worked out so well for us in our country. Maybe we ought to try something else. And I immediately responded with, you're a total idiot. It's that capitalism thing <laughs> that gives you work every single day so you can afford to buy the computer you're sitting in front of and pay the Internet fee so you can say this stupid stuff on the Internet. Capitalism is not to blame here. Greed is not even to blame here. It's irresponsible people that are to blame here. What I try to remind people of, and I've been standing on stages around the world for the last 20 years talking about business and, and finance and so forth, and that's why I finally wrote a parenting book. You can't get, my dad told me when I was a little bitty boy, you can't get a good deal from a bad guy. You can't tell a business, do this, give them a set of tactics, and you'll be more successful if you have bad people running the business. You can't expect government to do the right thing if we have bad people in government. You can't expect people to pay their bills if they're bad people. This goes back to the basic sense of integrity and honesty and responsibility that we need to teach our kids to make sure that we're raising good people who do the right thing every time, regardless of situations and regardless of conditions. That's, we don't have that now. You have a series of myths. I just thought we'd briefly go over some of these things. One is that... Uh... Money won't bring you happiness. Why do people believe that? <laughs> well, money won't bring you happiness is a myth. I think money will bring you happiness. Okay. Uh, I think uh, people who say that money won't bring you happiness, those are people who don't have much money. I know that I spent a good portion of my life broke, and I grew up dirt poor in Muskogee, Oklahoma. And I can tell you right now, I am much happier because money brings you freedom, and freedom brings you happiness. When you're not worried about the fact your bills are paid, that will make you happy. When you know you have money in the bank in case a crisis happens, that will make you happy. So the whole idea money doesn't bring you happiness, that's stupid. Of course it does, because money brings you freedom, and freedom does make you happy. And then you say uh, people think money won't buy you friends. What's wrong with that? Uh, well, money won't buy you friends, but it will allow you to hang around with a different class of people, uh, more commensurate with what you want out of life. When you realize that, that your income is going to be, on average, that of your five closest friends. So look at your five closest friends, and you pretty much know how much money they make. And if you average it, that's about how much money you make. And so if you want to make more money in life, you need to upgrade your friends to make sure that you're hanging around with people who expect more from you, who demand more from you, and who work harder and read more and are just basically smarter people about money and finance and work and so forth. Because they will bring you up to their level, or they can drag you down to their level. You get to choose. You say that uh, money, people think money won't solve your problems. So of course it will. So money will solve your problems. And the more money you have, the, more, the better the solution will be. 
you know, if you get sick and you don't have any money, you're going to get pretty much, uh, it's like when you have a legal problem and you get representation from the court. You want the guy that they assign you, or do you want to hire the best guy in the business? Money will determine that. Same thing when you hire a doctor. Money will determine the quality of the solution that you can come up with. That's the way it is. You say money won't make you more charitable either. Is that true? No. Uh, people who are charitable are just charitable. You know, there are people who have very, very little. And actually, statistically, when you look at the, the percentage of money people give, people at uh, low to middle income uh, give a higher percentage of their, of their money than people who make a lot of money. Uh, so if you're charitable, you're going to be charitable whether you've got $100 or whether you've got $100 million. You say money won't give you a better marriage, or people think that's true. Is that true? You know, when the number one cause of divorce in our country is about money, uh, I don't think that uh, money is really going to give you a better marriage. It can allow you some freedom so you can focus on the other things, but it won't necessarily give you a better marriage. Very good. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Larry Wingett, uh, who's telling it like it is. His latest book is called Your Kids Are Your Own Fault. And we'll be back after this. the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. When you were young, did you feel free to daydream? Were you full of questions such as why, how, and what if? Did you allow yourself to be carefree, to dance and sing? Did you create just for fun? Want to feel that way again? Reclaim your natural curiosity and creativity with Dr. Carol Stalka on Stargazing Stories, sparking your creativity. Revitalize your life, work, and relationships. Be more playful, be bold, imagine, explore, and live more creatively every day. Tune in Wednesdays at 11 a.m. in the East, 8 a.m. in the West on 7th Wave Network. Are you ready to talk football with the greatest wide receiver player and coach in NFL history? Tune in to Wide Open with Andre Rison. Andre is ready to talk to you and give his thoughts on the sport. There will be celebrity guests, coaches, players, artists, and more. He'll go beyond the game with a look from the coach's point of view and feature a high school player each week. Tune in to Wide Open with host Andre Rison. Featured Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Larry Wingett, who's written uh, several books. His latest one is called Your Kids Are Your Own Fault. His website is LarryWingett.com. Welcome back to the show, Larry. Thank you. One of your books is uh, called The Idiot Factor, The Ten Ways We Sabotage Our Life, Money, and Business. What are some of the ways we sabotage ourselves? Well, primarily, I think we sabotage ourselves. And I used to just say we were stupid, lazy, and uh, didn't care. I had three ways. And then I decided I really needed the more I dealt with stupid people, I had to come up with ten ways. Uh, the first one is stupidity and ignorance, though. Now, I have a distinction between those, and I know those are strong words and offend people. That's why I use them, by the way. Stupid means uh, is much different than ignorant in that ignorance means you don't know any better. And it's fine not to know any better. You can get by for a while with not knowing certain things. Like, if you don't know how to play golf, that's fine. Nobody cares. You can live and die an entire life and not know how to play golf. Who cares? But if you don't know how to be basically successful, how to manage your money, and how to be healthy, it's not okay to be ignorant about those things. So you've got to get some information. Then you move over into stupid. Stupid means you have the information. You're just not willing to do anything with it. And so you have to become willing to do what it takes. If you're not willing to do what it takes, that really does, in my opinion, make you stupid. To know what it takes to be successful and not be willing to do it is, to me, is just pitiful. And that's uh, coming out of the entitlement factor, right? The... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then I think the third big one is laziness. Uh, sadly, we've just reached a point in our society where people are lazy. We spend, on average, six hours a day in front of the television. Very few people will do any sort of physical activity. They won't even stand up. That's why we have two-thirds of our society uh, who are obese. And so the laziness factor is incredible right now. And so when you realize that people don't know what it takes to be successful, then they know and aren't willing to do it, then they're just too lazy to take action on it, I think that's just pitiful, just pitiful. So if, so, if somebody is stupid, lazy, and, and uh, ignorant. ignorant like that, and, and they're confronted with your message about personal responsibility, I mean, do they like have, have a light come on and say, oh, you're right, I should change everything, or, or do they just, they just can't take it in? <laughs> you know, I think sometimes they do have the light, depending on how much they hurt. You see, I think sadly right now we allow people to suffer, but it's very comfortable to, to suffer right now. In the old days, and everybody learns differently, uh, we allowed people to fall face down and hurt. And I'm one of those guys, I have to kind of learn the hard way. That's how I learned everything. I had to go face down in failure. It had to hurt uh, before I was willing to really start to wake up and start to make some changes. Depends on how much you're hurting. You need to feel the pain of the consequences. I believe when people feel pain of their consequences that they're willing to do whatever it takes in order to turn their lives around. I mean, the reason we put the social safety net in, like from Roosevelt on, is to prevent that kind of hurt where people were really hurt badly in the Depression. You're saying that, that was a bad idea to put in the social safety net? Well, I think that uh, there are going to be people who need help for a while. And I think everybody can use a helping hand from time to time. But when we make that helping hand a way of life, 
and we end up with fifth-generation welfare recipients. I think that's the step too far. Uh, I think that uh, what we have to do is help people for a short period of time. I don't, for instance, right now, when you want to make it real current, I don't think we're helping people by extending unemployment benefits. Mm-hmm. Because, statistically, uh, people don't even start to look for a job until the last two or three weeks before the benefits run out. So all we're doing is paying people longer to be off work. And, you know, I get kind of bothered. I recently blogged about this. I get real bothered by the fact that there are 15 million people out of work, and yet I can walk in the mall uh, two miles from my house, and there are three stores with signs in the window saying, taking applications now, help needed. Seriously? Why are you taking applications? There, I live in the fifth largest city in the United States. I'm number one in uh, foreclosures, Phoenix, Arizona. And you really have to ask for applications? Wouldn't you have 2,000 of them on file you could call? Wouldn't your employees there have buddies who need work? Instead, you're having to put signs, tape signs in your windows for basic help, retail help? So you're saying there's a lot of jobs Americans don't want to do because they're beneath it. You know, I, I recently had a guy write, write me on uh, on my blog and say, Larry, I'm tired of looking for a job. I'm worth more than $10 an hour. Really? You're worth more than $10 an hour. You'd rather take taxpayer money and sit at home because your unemployment check is $400 a week than go out and work for $10 an hour? See, that goes back to that entitlement thing that a guy feels better about doing nothing than he would about not getting a whole lot of money and working for it. You see, there was a time when we felt good about the work that we did. And sadly, we do think we're too good for the jobs that are available. That's, and when you look at the big picture, that's one of the reasons we have an immigration problem, uh, because Americans aren't willing to work for that much money, so we have to find somebody to do the work. Yeah. On, on a global scale, uh, are we going to be overtaken by uh, kind of the Asian work ethic? Because they, they are willing to work hard for much lower wages. Uh, than we are. They don't have as much of an entitlement compared to Europe, where they do have a kind of entitlement culture as well. Well, I, I sadly think we're moving more toward the European concept, uh, where we don't have to work very hard. I, I think on a global basis, if you look at the United States, I'd like to see us get back into making things again. I'd like for people to have a sense of accomplishment instead of a sense of entitlement, that they feel good about what they've done, not just based on the fact that they exist. You know, if you take that back to the one of the things I think is a real problem in society right now, and one of the reasons I wrote the book, the parenting book, is that we've got to move away from this trophy-based society where everybody gets recognition just for showing up. Everybody gets a trophy. Everybody feels entitled. We tell our kids they're special. No, your kid is not special. Your kid is special to you because they were born to you. To the rest of us, they're going to have to do something. But we've gotten away from that sense of accomplishment and a rewarding accomplishment. Instead, now we reward just because you are. You exist. <laughs> Indeed. So uh, as we close the show, what are some, some th concrete things people can do uh, if they now have this, the lights turned on and they have this sense of responsibility uh, to try to turn things around and not be kind of in this entitlement zone. Here's what I would tell people first to do. Write down where you are in every single area of your life. Look at your life with pen and paper. Don't just think about it. Write it down. When you write it down, it becomes much more real. Then write down the way you'd like for your life to be. 
in terms of your money, in terms of your health, in terms of your relationships, everything, right down the way you'd like your life to be. And then ask yourself, what am I willing to give up in order to make that happen? You see, we have a tendency to think about life and success and money and health and all those things, and how do I get more of it? You don't get more of anything. You give up what it's keeping you from achieving those things. So what are you willing to give up? Life is always about giving things up that are standing in our way. Know what you need to give up and then go to work on that. And this is something you've done in your own life, you're saying? Absolutely. I constantly are assessing, I'm, I'm constantly assessing where I am, where I would like to be, and what I'm going to have to give up. Time wasters, activities, people, uh, things that I've got to give up in order to achieve what I want. So what would be something, an example of something you've given up recently that, that paid off for you? Chocolate. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Seriously, I decided I wanted to, lo uh, to lose 10 pounds in the next three months, and I was going to increase my exercise, and I was going to start eating smarter. I love chocolate just about better than anything on this earth, so I decided I'm going to take a sabbatical from chocolate, and uh, I was going to take a sabbatical from some of the things that ate up my time during the day, and I was going to spend more time at the gym. And it works. That's all you have to do. Decide what you're going to give up. You don't go get healthier at the gym. You give up the things that are keeping you from being unhealthy. In my case, it was chocolate and time oysters that kept me away from the gym. Terrific. All right, well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Larry Wingett. His latest book is called Your Kids Are Your Own Fault. Some of the other books are The Idiot Factor, You're Broke Because You Want to Be, and It's Called Work for a Reason. Thanks so much for being on the Money Answer Show, Larry. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Jordan. Thank you, and we'll be back again with another edition of Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.